0: So, um, yeah, um, thanks for allowing me to share with you tonight and this morning. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I always enjoy sharing from the Word of God. And I um, like the Gospel of Mark for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons I like it is because it focuses so sharply on Jesus. Mark is like a minimalist. He cuts away all the fluff. He cuts away all the extras, and he just focuses in on Jesus because it's it's like, it's like, you know, if if, if you see his gospel as a as a kind of a play, a stage play, it's it's like he doesn't have any props on stage. He doesn't have any decorations on stage he doesn't have anything else on stage he just brings Jesus into center stage and then he puts the spotlight on him because he wants us to see Jesus and that's the most important thing that we can see Um, don't know if you guys have the right slides um, Luke you guys good with the slides um So I want to, um, there should be a slide up uh, about the the structure of the gospel of Mark. If you, you guys have been reading the gospel of Mark. So in Mark 1 verse 1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, And some of you might have noticed something strange about that verse, What's missing from it? What's missing from it? A verb. There's no verb in that verse. It just says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not even a sentence. And that is the heading of Mark's gospel. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's focusing in really on that. And we're going to see um, tonight's portion that we're going to look at really focuses in on on him. And Good. Can you bring up that structure of the the gospel? Next slide. There we go. So I made sort of a simplified structure of the gospel of Mark just to give you sort of a big picture. Um, Mark, you'll see, use a, a chiastic structure. That's a structure that Um, is like parallel Um, and the first portion um, I'm numbered there A1 is each portion is connected in a certain place and with a certain theme so the place there is the desert and it's all about preparation for Jesus Then the second uh, second section B1 is in Galilee and it's the revelation of Jesus it's all about who Jesus is. Jesus revealing himself through what he says and through what he does. And then the middle section of which we're going to look at the beginning of it tonight is on the way. I number it C here. And it's all about the true meaning of discipleship. What is discipleship about? Then B2 is when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So, So to Jerusalem it's all about confrontation with Jesus. And then the final section A2 is at the tomb and it's about the resurrection of Jesus. And the middle section, C, on the way, the true meaning of discipleship, it starts in Mark 8, verse 22, with a portion we're going to read tonight. And it ends at the end of Mark chapter 10. And it begins with a story of a blind man receiving his sight. And it ends with a story, blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. And and, and I said this morning that, that Mark was Peter's translator and he was recording the eyewitness testimony of Peter, of the Apostle Peter. And he didn't only record these events because they actually happened, but because there's a deeper meaning that we can learn from them. So they actually happened and there's a deeper meaning. It's not one or the other. Okay? And clearly by bracketing this section on discipleship with two different blind men receiving their sight. He's trying to tell us something about discipleship, that a big part of discipleship is having our eyes opened so that we can see Jesus because you can only follow the Jesus you can see. So unless you see the real Jesus, you cannot follow the real Jesus. And that is critical to discipleship. So um, let me let me just get into this. I um, I'll read the, the passage for you, and then I'll I'll share. Um, Mark eight verse twenty two says, <clears throat> "And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him, and he took the blind man." By the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in, on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they are like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, "Do not even enter the village." Something strange going on here, because Jesus takes him out of the village, and then he, you'd expect, you know, Jesus to do what Luke did tonight and ask for testimonies, you know. But Jesus seems to do the opposite. So there's something strange going on here. And verse 27 says, "And Jesus went on." with his disciples to the village, villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked him, but who do you say that I am? Can you see the focus on Jesus? But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, to tell no one about him. Same problem. (laughs) What's going on here? Why is Jesus not allowing them to testify about him? Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own his, his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Lord God, we just thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful, Lord. Thank you that your word is more powerful than we realize and thank you that your spirit Powerfully uses your word and plants it in our hearts. And thank you that the implanted word is able to save us and to change us and to grow in our hearts, in the soil of our hearts, and to bear much fruit to the glory of your name. And Lord, that is what we want. So, Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you'll come and lead us into all truth through this word in Jesus' name. So, There's too much here that I. There's more than I can actually share um, with you, so I'm going to have to pick and choose. And I'm actually trusting the Lord, the Holy Spirit, that that He'll just, you know, whatever has to come across, that that'll come across. But I want to just sort of just to give it a bit of structure. I just want to mention three things, and to me, this is this is so important. If Mark's gospel is about the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. You know, the gospel means good news, right? Of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, but whoever gives up his life for this, my sake and for the gospel's sake. We can see the centrality of the gospel in, in what Jesus says here. The gospel is truth to look at. The gospel is truth to look through. And the gospel is truth to live out. Okay? So first, the gospel is truth to look at. And the central truth of the gospel is the truth of who Jesus is. And that's why Mark focuses so sharply on Jesus. Takes this empty, minimalist stage, puts Jesus' center stage, and shines the light on him. And says, you need to see Jesus. And let's just go to that passage and read through it It says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him and he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village and when he had spat in his eyes he laid hands on him and asked him do you see anything it's interesting to me firstly that Jesus takes this guy outside of the village and 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 sometimes you need to Jesus needs to remove you from your circumstances because your circumstances prevent you from receiving what Jesus has for you. Some of you came here to George from other places and in those other places you struggled (laughs) to follow the Lord and now all of a sudden that you're in George and you're out of your natural environment, all of a sudden God's doing things in your life. Sometimes our families our circle of friends, our villages keep us captive to what, to what we're in so that we cannot receive everything that Jesus has to us. And Jesus first has to take us out of our village. And then he can start doing what he wants to do in our lives. And some of you have experienced that. So he takes this guy out of the village. And then when Jesus starts to work in your life, sometimes he works in your life in a way that is so offensive He comes to this guy and he spits in his eye. Now, even in today's modern day and age, that would be offensive. But I can tell you, way back in the first century when Jesus did that, that was even more offensive. Have you ever experienced Jesus spitting in your eye? Have you ever experienced Jesus doing for you what you desperately want him to do, but he does it in such a way that it's offensive? You see, it's, people, it's so easy to miss what Jesus is doing in your life if you are easily offended. Because Jesus will often intentionally do what needs to be done in your life in such a way that it's offensive to you. Why? I mentioned that about this morning. Because we need to come to Jesus with humility. And sometimes when Jesus works in our lives, he works in such a way that he Tests our humility and encourages us humility and gives us the opportunity to practice humility. And that's good. See, that's part of Jesus working all things for our good. So he comes and he spits in this guy's eye and then he says, Do you see anything? And it says he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then it says, and Jesus laid hands on him on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus doesn't always do everything he wants to do in your life at one time. He doesn't do it all at once. Sometimes he does it in stages. And you've got to be patient. And you've got to be honest. Don't say, Jesus, I can see in faith, supposedly, when actually you can't see clearly. Be honest like this guy and say, Lord, I see better, but, you know, I see people like trees. Because if you pretend like Jesus has finished what he's busy doing in your life when he actually is only halfway, then you're going to not receive the rest of your miracle. Be honest with Jesus. Don't pretend. Jesus sometimes doesn't do everything at once. He does it in stages. There's another even more important reason why Jesus does it that way. But that also means that, you know, if Jesus does miracles in stages, then sometimes the way he uses us will also lead to the miraculous in stages and not all at once. And we shouldn't be flustered or freak out or think something is wrong if he does it that way. That's the way he did it as well. And then it says, and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. And I'll I'll come back to that. Maybe try and talk a bit about the reason why Jesus does that. There's a very specific reason for it. And we're going to see in a moment. And then it says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And we live in a society that is full of opinions, especially with social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. Full of opinions about who Jesus is. But who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is, is not determined by public opinion. And if you base your revelation and your understanding of who Jesus is on public opinion, you'll get it wrong more often than not. Who Jesus is, is not determined by popular vote. It's not like you can say, okay, people of the world, let's vote. Who of you says this is Jesus? Put up your hands. You know? The world is going to get it wrong. The world is full of opinions about who Jesus is, but most of those opinions are wrong. And some of those opinions are ridiculously wrong. I mean, what do all three of these opinions have in common? John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets. What do, what do all three of them have in common? Now remember, these are are the the, the opinions of Jewish people, other words, religious people, the people who are supposed to know God and know his word. What do these three opinions have in common? All three of them claim that Jesus is a dead person come back. In other words, reincarnation is what all three of them have in common. I mean the concept of reincarnation isn't even in the Old Testament or in the Jewish scriptures or in Jewish tradition. How on earth was the, the most popular opinion about Jesus that he was a dead person come back? Amongst Jews, for crying out loud. <laughs> can, can you see how ridiculous this is? And even among Christians, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we like these Jews. We have sometimes have ridiculously wrong ideas about who Jesus is. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Who do you say that I am? What matters is not what you know about what other people think about Jesus. What matters is what you think about Jesus. This might very well be the most important question you'll ever have to answer in your entire life. Who, when Jesus asks you the same question he asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Because your answer to this question determines not only your eternal destiny when Jesus comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels, but it determines whether you can follow Jesus now in this life, because you can only follow the Jesus you know. And if you know the wrong Jesus, you can only follow the wrong Jesus. If you want to follow the real Jesus, you must know the real Jesus. Jesus. So who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? You see, this is, this is the thing that makes the gospel so different. I mean, people can have all kinds of opinion about Julius Caesar and about what he wrote in his Gallic Wars. They can read it, and they can read it quite objectively because it doesn't affect their lives. Who Julius Caesar is and what he did does not in history does not affect their lives. But who Jesus is and what he did in history absolutely affects your life. So, so let's also be honest about this: that none of us are objective or impartial about this, because if Jesus is who he says he is, then it means our lives have to change to line up with who Jesus is. And that's why so many people, when they read scripture, they cannot read it objectively. They cannot, because they don't want it to be true. They They don't want Jesus to be who he says he is. Because if he is who he says he is, then it means they have to surrender their lives to him. And he has authority over their lives. So let's not pretend that we can be all objective about this. As though this does not affect everything in our lives. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people think that Christ was Jesus' surname as though his parents were Mary and Joseph Christ. <laughs> Christ is not Jesus' surname. Sorry if I'm embarrassing you if you thought that. <laughs> Christ is not Jesus' surname. Christ is Jesus' title. His name is Jesus and his title is Christ. The word Christ, um, Christos in the Greek, comes from the, the Hebrew Mashiach, Messiah. Messiah. It means, it's commonly translated as anointed one, but that's a bit of a pop translation. It's not a very good translation. It's not just anointed one, it's anointed king. The Messiah was the anointed king of the Jews who would become the anointed king of the world. That is the Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he's saying, you are the anointed king, you are the rightful ruler. Of the world And then the strange thing is, even though Peter gives the right answer, Jesus says, "Listen guys, don't tell anyone about this." <laughs> why? Why? Do you know why? Do you want to know why? It's a theme in, in Mark's gospel. I don't know if I'm one of them have preached about it. It's called the Messianic Secret. But there's a very good reason. And what, what you'll see, uh, I'm, I'm summarizing. What you'll see is that when Jesus is in Israel, he tells people, don't tell anyone who I am. Don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. He even tells demons, shut up. Don't, <laughs> don't reveal who I am. Okay, in Israel. But when he's in Gentile countries, he says to people, yeah, go and tell them who I am. Um, I, the the 4,000, we read this morning about the 4,000 that were fed in the Decapolis. The ten cities of the Gentiles. There were so many people who, were, who came to Jesus because a few chapters before that there was a demoniac who Jesus delivered and he wanted to come with Jesus and Jesus said, No, go back and go and tell everyone. Okay? So, why did Jesus tell the people in the Gentile places to talk about him but the people in Israel, No, be quiet, shut up, don't talk about me? I'll tell you one of the reasons. I don't think this is necessarily the only reason, but this is one of the reasons. You see, the the gospel is not only truth to look at, and and when we look at the truth of the gospel, we need to see Jesus most of all. The gospel is also truth to look through. In those days when the Jews... Let me start on this side. The Jews were under Roman occupation like most of the known world at that time. The Roman authorities had conquered Israel and Roman governors were ruling Israel and Israelites in their own countries were living like slaves, as though they were in Egypt or as though they were in Babylon. They were like, basically like slaves in their own country. So the captivity had not yet ended. And they had to pay Serious taxes, severe taxes, so much so that many of them, you know, were dying from hunger, and that's why they hated the tax collectors so much, because the tax collectors were Jews who were turncoats who were working for the Roman oppressors, and and not only gathering taxes, exorbitant taxes from their own countrymen, but gathering more than they should have gathered, so they can line their own pockets. What Israel needed. And this is why the name, the son of David, so excited the people. They needed someone like David to come and kick the butts of the Roman oppressors and occupiers out of Israel. They needed an anointed king who could slay giants and fight empires and set them free from their Roman oppressors. That is what they needed and that is what they wanted. They needed and they wanted a victorious, anointed king, a general, who will come and fight the Roman oppressors for them. Once, I can't remember what day it was. I think it might have been a Sunday. We were sitting around the, the lunch table. And my youngest son, Ethan, is five years old. He's very attached to his mom. He really loves his mom. When I try and hug him, he fights me. But when his mom hugs him and kisses him, he's like, yeah, bring it on, you know. <laughs> and um, I can't remember exactly how it happened. But, um, you know, he, he, he was saying he was saying, uh, he was saying to, to his mother, I think he was sitting on, on her lap, and he was saying, you're my mama. And I said, but she's my wife. And she was my wife before she was your mom. And she said, no, she's my mama. And then my, my eldest daughter, she's about 13, she started catching on and, and, and she said, but she was my mama, before she was your mama. And Ethan was getting like really upset. and was, no, my mama. <laughs> and we started teasing him about this and saying, no, but she's my wife. Before she was your mama, before she was even anyone's mama, she was my wife. And he was getting angry and was shouting, no, my mama. You see, Rochelle, my wife, she's my wife, she's Ethan's mother, she's Kirsten's mother, she's all of those things. But Ethan was so focused on who he wanted her to be to him that he couldn't accept who she was to other people. You see, so often we are so focused on who we need Jesus to be, who we want. Jesus to be to us. That we miss who Jesus really is. Or that we only get a little fraction, a little portion of who Jesus really is. You see, Jesus is not who we want him to be or who we need him to be. Jesus is who he reveals himself to be. And the scary part is that like Peter, you can give the right answer and say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the anointed king. You are the rightful ruler, and you can still miss it. And that's why Jesus said, guys, don't talk to anyone about this because you don't yet even understand what it means that I'm the Christ. Because you need me and you want me to be this victorious military general Christ the son of David who's going to come and slay the giants and kick the oppressing empire out of Israel. And not only are you missing who I really am, but you're going to cause other people to miss who I really am. Because you're focusing on who you want me to be and who you need me to be. You're misunderstanding who I am. Even though though the Christ is the right answer, you have no idea. Because here's the thing, and that's, What Jesus does in the next verse, notice, in the very next verse, he first says to them, don't talk to anyone about this. And then he says, and he began. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. From that moment, for the first time, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and i can just imagine as he begins to teach them about i must be rejected i must suffer many things i must die and and then he's talking about rising after three days now whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. hang on you lost us by a, a die the messiah The anointed king, the son of David, the victorious redeemer who redeems us from our pressures should not die. Jesus, you got this wrong. I don't think you understand who you are. You're missing it. And that's why Peter takes him aside and he says to him, Jesus, listen here. I don't don't want to hear you say that again. (laughs) Peter. Peter. Ready, fire, aim, Peter. <laughs> Foot in mouth disease, Peter. <laughs> he always talks before he thinks. <laughs> Peter is the only person in the whole Bible who has the distinction of contradicting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter, <laughs> I Anyway, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, I don't think you understand. I just told you, you're the Christ. Let me tell you what that means. And Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. You're the one that doesn't know what that means. What does it mean that Jesus had to suffer, be rejected, suffer many things, die and rise on the third day? What is that? That is the gospel. You see, the gospel is not only truth to look at. The gospel is truth to look through. Unless you look at Jesus and see Jesus through the truth of the gospel, you will never see the real Jesus. You'll never know the real Jesus, and you won't be able to follow the real Jesus. You see, Jesus, if the gospels were just a human invention, a play that Mark had written, sucked out of his thumb and just written down he would have written it so that Jesus didn't die but so that Jesus did defeat the Roman oppressors it would have been epic but it would have been Setting your mind on the things of man and not the things of God. The ways of man are not the ways of God. You see, God, the gospel is the ultimate revelation of who God is and how God works. If you want to know who God is, look at the cross. See Jesus hanging there with arms wide open Vulnerable, weak, defeated, dying, bleeding, suffering. But with arms wide open to receive the world and say, I am willing to do this for you. You belong here, but I will take your place. I like the way John Stott says it. He says, the essence of sin is man taking the place of God? We'll decide what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. We'll eat from that tree. We'll decide for ourselves. The essence of sin is man taking the place of God. The essence of salvation is God taking the place of man. That is the gospel. The gospel is the truth, it, it, the gospel is the good news. The gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel, euangelion, means. It means good news. It's good news, not good advice. It's not good advice about what you must do to earn God's favor. It's good news about what Jesus did to earn God's favor for you. The, The gospel is a truth that you are so sinful and wicked that Jesus had to die for you on the cross. And yet... At the very same time, you are so loved and accepted that Jesus was glad to die for you on the cross. That is the gospel. Jesus' perfect life, his rejection, his suffering, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. That is the gospel. And that, the gospel is not just truth to look at, it's truth to look through. It's a lens, it's a worldview. And unless you look at everything, including your own life, including Jesus himself, through the gospel, you will never see clearly. Can you understand now why Mark put in that story about the blind man being healed in stages? You see, our eyes, we are also healed from our blindness in stages. It's one thing for Peter to know that you are the Christ. It's another thing for Peter to know what kind of a Christ he is. He's a gospel Christ. He's a Christ, a Messiah, anointed king who dies on the cross in the place of his rebellious subjects who have rebelled against him. That is the kind of Christ he is. He is first a suffering Christ and then he is a victorious Christ. Yes, he's going to come in the glory of his father and with his holy angels. He is going to be the victorious son of David. But first he's the suffering servant. You see the gospel, I mean, if if we had been able to choose a gospel, we would have just chosen victory. We would have just chosen the crown, not the cross. We would have just Chosen victory, not defeat. We would have just chosen strength, not weakness. We would have just chosen glory, not suffering. But the gospel is both the suffering of Christ, which leads to the glory of Christ, the death of Christ, which leads to the resurrection of Christ. And if you separate those two, you see, there, 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 are, there are forms of Christianity that only focus on the death, only focus on the suffering. And then there are other forms of Christianity that only focus on the resurrection, only focus on the life. But the gospel is only the gospel if you can hold those two together. The death which leads to the resurrection. The suffering which leads to the glory. The suffering servant Christ who will ultimately be the victorious military Christ. Only if you look, you see the gospel is truth to look at but it's truth to look through. Only if you look at Jesus through the truth of the gospel can you see who Jesus really is. What kind of a Christ he is. But the gospel is not only truth to look at and truth to look through. It's truth to live out. You see, when Jesus corrects, when Jesus corrects, and and, and this is why Satan gets involved here. by the way, this is so important that Satan himself gets him. Jesus doesn't rebuke a demon and say, you demon of deception, get out of Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan is so worried about this. This is so important. Let Let me just backtrack a bit. This is so important who Jesus is as the Christ, that you see him through the lens of the gospel, that he'll tell you, don't even talk about me until you get this. Until you can see me through the lens of the gospel, don't even testify about me because you're going to testify wrong. You need to see me through the lens of the gospel and then you'll be able to testify to whom I really am. It's so important that Satan himself gets involved and wants to come and bring in all kinds of confusion and stuff here. This is what Satan doesn't want you to know. The gospel, that is what Satan doesn't want you to know. And he'll do anything to prevent you from knowing this. And Jesus, it's interesting. <clears throat> he looks at his disciples. Peter starts rebuking him. He doesn't look at Peter. He looks at his disciples. And he says, "Yeah, I need to set a precedent. This is so important. I need to set a precedent. So he looks at his disciples and he says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Because you don't understand the gospel yet. And then he says he called the crowd To him with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that a crucified Christ leads to crucified discipleship. A Messiah who carries his cross is followed by disciples who carry their crosses. Can you see that the gospel is not just truth to look at and truth to look through, but it's truth to live out. It's not only the way to life, it's a way of life. That is why Paul in Galatians, when he sees Barnabas and Peter playing the hypocrite, and they no longer want to sit with the Gentiles at the non-kosher table. But when the Jews come from, 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 from James, they want to go and sit at the kosher table. He doesn't say, say to Peter, Peter, you're being a racist, even though that was true. He doesn't say, you know, these scriptures that say you mustn't be racist, you're disobeying them, even though that is true. That would have been true. What does he say to him? He says, when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth, of the gospel. I confronted Peter in front of all of them. What is is Paul saying there? He's saying that there's truth, the truth of the gospel. There's a line of truth that goes out from the gospel and that intersects with every area of your life. And discipleship and Christianity is nothing more and nothing less than walking in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of life. Does does that make sense? This is is really important because we, we miss this because we think that gospel is the ABC of the Christian life. The gospel is not the ABC. It's the A to Z. The gospel is not the milk. It's the milk and the meat. Hello? We think that I need to believe the gospel to get in, but then I need to do other stuff to get on. No, no. The gospel is the way in and the way on. When Jesus, what Jesus says is, I'm a crucified Christ. And a crucified Christ leads to crucified disciples. If you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Luke adds daily. And follow me. Follow me where? Follow me to my death. This is going to shock some of you. But do you realize that the devil is not the only spiritual being who wants you dead? God wants you dead too. He says so in so many words. But here's the good news. You cannot... Threaten a dead person with death. You cannot threaten a person who has lost their life with the loss of their life. You see, the only way to resurrection is through death. <clears throat> I think I'm out of time. Let me just say this. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't only take your sin to the cross, he took you to the cross. It's not only your sin that died with Jesus on the cross, you died with Jesus on the cross. And that is good news. Because if you lose your life, you will find it. Find what? Christ's life in you. He says there, he goes on and he says, <clears throat> for what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? You know, so many people, and many of them come and live here in George. They work hard when they're young and actually squander their health. They, they overwork and they, and, they, and they workaholics and they eat badly and they don't exercise and their health deteriorates and they basically giving their health in exchange for success and money and promotions. And then they become old and they realize that they need health to enjoy all of that wealth. But now they don't have the health anymore and then they start giving their wealth to try and get their health back. And Jesus says we're in in danger of making the same mistake. What's important is, first and foremost, your own soul. First and foremost, your own soul. If you don't even have your soul, what does it profit you? You gain the whole world. You can't enjoy it. So the gospel is truth to look at. Jesus particularly. The gospel is truth to look through. You must interpret all of life through the lens of the gospel. And the gospel is truth to live out. It's a way of life. It's the way in and it's the way on. And that is how simple Christianity is. It's about Jesus and the gospel and that is what Mark teaches us. Can you see the real Jesus more clearly now? Are you seeing him like A man looking like a tree or is he still busy clarifying your sight are you in stages getting a deeper revelation of him seeing him more clearly so you can follow him more nearly I know he's revealing himself to you I know he's healing your eyes right now right now he's healing your eyes to see more clearly so you can follow him more clearly and so you can testify you see now that we know that now that we know not only that Jesus is the Christ but what kind of a Christ he is that is a gospel Christ Now he says okay now it's not time to shut up anymore now it's not time to be quiet anymore now it's time to go to the village now it's time to testify now it's time to tell everyone about who I really am <clears throat> I'm the Christ who suffers and then he's glorified I'm the Christ who has died and then rose again. And I'm the Christ who can do the same for you. That is how I save you. Let's stand. <clears throat> I know I've Unsettled some of you a little bit and I think that's good. I think it's good that you've been unsettled. See, God first has to d- disorientate you before he reorientates you and some of you are feeling a bit disorientated and, and that's good. That's good because God is busy reorientating you and giving you a clearer picture of who Jesus really is. Some of you are feel a bit disorientated because you've you're undergoing a a gospel paradigm shift you're taking off your glasses your old glasses and you're putting on a new set of glasses, a new set of spectacles you're seeing all of life, you're starting to see all of life differently and that is good that is what God wants to do in your life so I just want you to close your eyes right there where you are and just say to Jesus Jesus I want to follow you I want to follow the real Jesus help me to see you the real Jesus more clearly Lord Holy Spirit give me a gospel paradigm shift help me to see the gospel as truth to look at as truth to look through and as truth to live out. Jesus, heal my eyes. I'm starting to see you more clearly, but I want to see you even more clearly. Heal my eyes so I can see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name. If you want to respond to that word, I just want you to invite you to come forward. Whatever it is that you feel you want to respond, just come forward. Even if it's just Lord saying to Jesus, Jesus, I just want to fix this in my heart. I just want to settle this in my heart. Or Jesus, I just want you to to finish that, that miracle of healing my eyes. Whatever it is, if you, if you want to respond, I just want to invite you to come forward. If you come forward, just bring your Bible, your handbag, whatever with you. And just, come and, just come and kneel here in the front and come and do business with the Lord. Jesus is who reveals himself to be then it means he's much more powerful than we realized. He's much more loving than we realize. He's much more holy than we realize. He's much more kind than we realize. He's much more Gentle and understanding than we realize. You see, if Jesus is who the gospel reveals him to be, then he is the greatest hero of all time. And Superman and Batman and Spider Man and whatever other superhero, they're just Jesus wannabes. Because Jesus is really the one that saves the world. That enters into the suffering of the world. But he doesn't only come to the world and the suffering of the world. He goes through it into resurrection and into eternal life. It also means that Jesus doesn't only save the strong, but Jesus saves the weak. Through his weakness, ironically. The good news of the gospel. I always say there's bad news. That we are sinful and wicked and need salvation. There's fake news. The fake news is that we can save ourselves by trying harder. And then there's good news. And the good news is that even though we cannot save ourselves, Jesus can and has done everything necessary to save us. If you need to... If you need the Holy Spirit to work at your idea of what Christianity is, if, if you haven't seen Christianity as walking out the gospel, taking up your cross, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus through death and into resurrection, if you didn't see the the Christianity and the Christian life as that, then maybe you also need to respond and just say, Jesus, I need you to tweak. I need you to change the way I see the Christian life. Lord Jesus, we have so badly underestimated you you are so much more glorious, so much more beautiful, so much more amazing than we ever imagined. We honor you. We glorify you. And I pray, Lord God, that this church will be a gospel community. That looks at the truth of the gospel, that looks through the truth of the gospel, and that lives out the truth of the gospel to such an extent that the watching world will stand amazed and say, When they are weak, they are strong. When they are defeated, they are victorious. When they are hurt, they are healed. And they are not only healed, but they become healers, wounded healers, like their master. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the watching world will see this church live out the gospel and find it so beautiful, so irresistible, that they'll say, I want to be part of that story. I want to follow that Messiah. Not a caricature who we twist into whom we want Him to be or whom we think we need Him to be, but the Messiah as He really is. I just bless your people, Lord, with an ever-increasing revelation of who you are, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus